Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read Ezra chapter 9. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that their holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting, with my garment and my cloak torn, and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to Yahweh my God, saying, O oh my God, I am ashamed, and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day we have been in great guilt, and for our iniquities we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by Yahweh our God, to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our own slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia, to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong, and eat the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us, for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved, and has given us such a remnant as this, Shall we break your commandments again, and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Yahweh, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. This is the word of the Lord. So Ezra has returned to Jerusalem. He has brought back with him an, another wave of exiles returning from the land of Babylon, at this point really Persia, and they've they've arrived. And they're there. They've done the offerings in chapter 8 that we saw. And now after this, after the sacrifices, after Ezra's attempts to mark the people as clean again before the Lord, the officials come to him and give him a report that the people including the leaders, have been faithless. 
they have done one of the things that God very specifically told them not to do, never to do. They've been intermarrying with the other nations. You can read this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, which also very specifically gives you the reason why God has a commandment like this. To many people, as they hear something of this nature, they would think it sounds strange. Why would God care if you marry someone from another country or another people group? And, in fact, this has been abused in the history of, of our own nation here in the United States. Uh, many Christians falsely use this to teach against uh well, intermarriage, the idea between races, um, skin color, essentially. What What is in mind here, what is in focus here is faith. God does not want his people marrying outside of, of the nation of Israel because they will be marrying people who do not believe in God. They believe in other gods. And what happens when they believe in those other gods and you marry them? Well, you end up taking on the practices of their gods too. And over time, you abandon Yahweh for these false pagan myths. Was the concern just? Most definitely. Israel did this, and they chased after false gods. One of the greatest kings that we know of in the history of Scripture, King Solomon. Read 1 Kings 11. Read it with your family. See what this did. Okay, he had a thousand to begin with, a thousand wives, which is ridiculous, but... They led him astray. Solomon, given the great amount of wisdom by the Lord, given anything he wanted in this world because of his faith and his willing servant heart, and yet at the end of his life, he turns away from God. He chases after the idols of his brides. This is dangerous stuff, and there's a reason why this warning existed, and it again, it has everything to do with faith. And so the warning, well, not the warning, the, the report is brought to Ezra, and Ezra grieves. Now, you've got the list of different tribes in verse 1, different people groups that are there. Uh, the Moabites and the Egyptians are new to that list. The others are, are mentioned many times together as a grouping. Uh, those were the clans that, and, that had the promised land before Israel received it as a gift from God. A couple other ones sometimes get added to that list, like the Girgashites. Sometimes they get left out. Um, but Moabites and Egyptians are new uh, on that list today for us in this text from Ezra. And then, even worse in the report, is it's not just something the people are doing, but the officials and the chief men have done it as well, and foremost in the minds of these officials making the account. It is worth noting that leaders are accountable. God holds them accountable for how they lead and for what they teach. And so to be a leader is not necessarily a job that you want for yourself. If God gives it to you, then you lead humbly. But it's not a position to seek out because leaders will be judged more strictly. We see that even in the New Testament. We learn that from the book of James, for example. They have to give an account for all that they have done in their position of leadership, which impacts the faith of the people that they lead as well as their own and their own families. So this is dangerous stuff when the leaders are also hoodwinked and deceived in this way. So Ezra mourns, he grieves, he tears his garment and his cloak, he pulls, pulls his hair from his, his head and his beard, and he mourns until evening. 
those who feared the Lord mourned together with him. And then at evening, when the time of the evening sacrifice came up, and I don't know what time that would have been um, exactly, but when it came, he fell on his he fell on his knees. He looked up, I would guess, to the heavens here. He spreads out his hands. You see, it's a posture of humility. As Ezra places himself at the mercy of the Lord, and he prays, and we get his prayer here for the rest of this text. He is ashamed on behalf of the people. Our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. I mean, talk about a imagery there. That's a lot of guilt. That's a big pile. From the days of our fathers to this day, so they have not repented in the sins of the people that have been going on for generations. That's trouble. That's a bad thing. And Ezra admits that it was for their iniquities that they were delivered into the hands of the enemy kings to begin with. So for something like this very thing, they were destroyed before. This is a question then for the children to, to think about um, you know, in the context of this verse, obviously, if, if God has told you not to do something, you've done it, and you've been punished for your sin, should you continue to do that sin anyway? In a way to help our children think through this one, if your parents punish you for doing something that you shouldn't be doing, what should you do after that? Should you keep on doing that thing? And the answer to that is no, no, you should stop doing that thing. You should honor your parents and you should do what they would like for you to do. And so it is with the Lord. God's people should have stopped doing the thing that they were punished for and they should have trusted in God instead. Ezra, Ezra points out several things in this prayer. For a brief moment, favor has been shown by Yahweh. He left us a remnant. He gave us a secure hold. He brightens our eyes. He gave us a little reviving. He has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia. He has granted us reviving to set up the house of God, to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. I mean, you can see it over and over again. Ezra knows that God is merciful. And so he's bringing that up, perhaps in his prayer, for the very hope that mercy will continue um, in this time where he knows that punishment is deserved by the people. Verse 10, what shall we say? And he acknowledges what God has taught on this subject. And Deuteronomy 7, again, is a good example of that. There's not a direct quote. So the, the quote is here in verse 11. But there's not a direct reference point that you can go to in Scripture to find those exact words that Ezra has in quotation marks here. Um, so if Ezra's quoting it from somewhere else, or if he's pulled a couple of the different times that God has taught this thing together, hard to say, um, but the teaching is certainly true. This is something God has said more than once uh, before his people. And again, the warning is here. The reason is here. With their abominations, it filled the land. Do not give your daughters to their sons. Do not take their daughters for your sons. Why does God care if his people marry and trust people who do not worship him? A question with your, your family that you can discuss. And the answer to that is he wants, he loves you. I mean, Jesus died for you. God sent his son to die for you. He doesn't want you to be led astray. 
He doesn't want you to be lost. He gave his own life to save you. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a good reason here for what God wants for his people. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to live forever. And if you're marrying other nations, if you're marrying people outside of Christianity, as we would put it today, you're putting all of that at risk. And for what? This is a warning and a caution to parents today. Encourage your children as they're growing up to seek to marry a Christian so that they're not led astray. And if possible, marry somebody of the same denominational belief that you are. A lot of research out there about how the how having parents that go to different churches negatively impacts the faith of a child. So if you're a Lutheran, try to marry someone who's a Lutheran. If you're Roman Catholic, try to marry someone who's Roman Catholic. Um, can marriages work out between Christians of different denominations? Sure. And if you need some input on how to, to work through something like that, I'd be happy to help. Um, can marriages work out between people of different faiths? So if you're a Christian and you are married to a Muslim, for example, can that work? Yes, it can. And we have a conversation with Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 in regards to this. If you're already married to an unbeliever and they will still have you, remain. For who knows, you might, you might, by your conduct, by your way of life, bring them to know Christ. So it's not... a uh, a runaway thing, but at the same time, don't put yourself in that position in the first place. It's the encouragement that we would have applied from this text for us today. Um, very dangerous thing. Many Christians end up seeing their faith shipwrecked, destroyed, because of their interactions with people in other, other churches, other, not other churches, other faiths. Ezra admits in verse 13 that they have been punished less than their iniquities deserved, which is true. We all, that's true for all of us. We all deserve to be destroyed. We all deserve hell for even one sin. And yet Ezra and his people still alive when he's praying at least. And they have been spared from that. So he's thankful. He's thankful to the Lord for it. And yet he said, he asked the rhetorical question, shall we break your commandments again? And we know the answer by no means, as Paul would say. Uh, Paul speaks this way in Romans chapter 6. Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. Not at all. So the prayer ends in confession. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For as the Christian, we confess our sins today. All kinds of sins. And we lay them before the Lord. And we know that our sins are forgiven. We hear the beautiful words of absolution spoken by our pastor. We receive Christ's body and blood upon our lips. These things are good for forgiveness. We know our sins are forgiven, no matter what our sins may have been. We trust in the Lord. We give it all to him. And we rejoice in our Savior.